Lori, thank you for that verse about being becoming strong in the inner man, strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it'd be great if we could all see ourselves in wheelchairs, spiritually. And to get up, we need to become strong. And that's what's going to happen because of the Holy Spirit and because of your walk with God. Uh, hopefully you get felt like you're a little pumped up today. But when you walk out that door, you're going to fight your own fight. You're going to have your own resistances. But you have your own Jesus with you. You're going to make it. You're going to become strong in spirit because that's what God has for you. You're going to get up. You know, those of you who've been here a while, you always hear me telling you, I grew up with social anxiety disorder and depression. Oh, poor Bruce. Sometimes we pray about being delivered. I have become strong in spirit because of my weaknesses. I know a strength I have because of my weaknesses. I was sitting over there in the prayer room waiting by myself, praying and going over my message and feeling that anxiety I had like I felt every day when I went to school when I was a kid. Sick to my stomach, telling my mom, saying, why don't you have breakfast? No, I, I can't. I'm sick to my stomach. Coming home from school sometimes, sick to my stomach because of social anxiety. I still have it. I'm supposed to do a men's retreat in September. I am sick to my stomach. How can I do this, God? Why are you making me do this? But yet I have something going on in my spiritual, in my spirit, that's causing me to rise above my weaknesses. And that's what God has for Some of you have weaknesses, and you're frustrated with it, and you want God to remove it. No, you want your weakness. Why? Because your weakness, the God is going to cause a compensation. You're going to rise up in your, in your spirit. Those of you who are not weak, who are confident, you need to humble yourself. You need to, in all the strength and all the know-how, what you want, need to do, you need to step back every day and say, God, what do you want me to do? And you're not cursed because you have a strong personality, but you have a challenge to keep that brokenness, keep that humility before God, so that you can not only do the best that you can do because you're so gifted, but you want God to be walking with you in the giftedness. That's why the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He had everything. I'm sure he's a great entrepreneur, but he realized there was something in this man, Jesus, that he was lacking. But at the cost of having to let go of all the control and everything he knew, he left what Jesus offered him, but it said he went away sorrowful. So let's learn from his mistake. No matter who we are and how gifted we are, or what we know or what we got going through us, grab onto Jesus. And if you're weak, start putting a smile on your face because God is going to cause that weakness to be something that you are going to see God's strength rise in your life because you have that weakness. It could be an emotional problem. It could be a mental disorder. It could be negative feeling. It could be anything, but God is going to turn it for your good. I've been telling everyone I talk to now lately, get strong in your spirit. I've been telling my son, you need to be strong in spirit. Problems are going to be there. You cannot handle it in your soul. Your soul is not strong enough. Your mind, will, and emotions is not strong enough to handle the dealings of this world. And the Bible says as it gets closer to the end, and more of those demonic spirits who have been chained up since the rebellion are going to be let loose on the earth, do you think the, envir the environment is going to be any easier? The atmosphere spiritually is going to get any easier? No. we got an opportunity. We're in training right now. We're in training spiritually to become strong in spirit, to begin strong in spirit, to get stronger, to get stronger and stronger so that there is a spiritual sensitivity, your awareness of what God's doing, your awareness of what God's doing right now and whatever you're facing, whatever problems are coming away. You're going to get to this place like Paul. I rejoice in adversity. I rejoice in setbacks and problems. Why? He learned something in his walk with God that it was the strength that he was getting because the Holy Spirit was in him, and it came because he was in opposition, because he had difficulties and persecutions. Can you imagine? I got mentioned there's probably times he was getting beaten. It's like, oh, yeah, I love it. 
I bet there was times he had a smile on his face because there was something supernaturally working within him. There is also that part where we continually need Jesus. And I, I just added another scripture today. This is John 12, 21. There were some Greeks who were non-Jews. They were still kind of outcasts, right? Because Jesus came first to the Jews. And they came to Philip, one of the disciples, and he said, Sir, Philip, we would see Jesus. Pray with me right now. Oh, God, sir, we would see you. Today, every one of us, Lord, we need to see you. We need to see you for ourselves. I pray for a supernatural intervention against every distraction, our own hardness, even the resistance in our own will of surrendering to you. I pray you would, uh, you would compensate for our strong will and our strong soul and those things the enemy is using to keep us from grabbing a hold. We are walking through life, and this is an opportunity we're having to see you, Jesus. And I pray that every person here would have a fresh revelation of who you are. I pray a fresh outpouring of the love of God upon us. And I pray for a spiritual experience that will cause us to buy in a little bit more, that would cause us each to invest a little bit more in, in listening to you and wanting you. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. When I was 23 years old, and I think it was 1977, I got an opportunity to go into the transportation department at an aerospace company. And for me, it was the place where I would earn my living for my family for the majority of my life, and that was my niche. Driving tractor-trailer, whipping a 42-foot trailer around, putting it wherever I wanted because I learned skills was the highlight of my working career. But uh, when I started driving, at when I was uh, 23, we used to, in our transportation department, we did everything. So at 4 o'clock when work was over, our boss would gather all of us young guys who, whose backs were still good, and we would move furniture. I was always wondered why our company was always moving these people over here, and we used the steel case, heavy-duty metal file cabinets, no plastic, and heavy steel case uh, desks. Those of you who are old and know what a steel case furniture is like. It's steel, and it's heavy. And we would move this building, and six months later, we'd move them people back over to that building because they'd get a new boss and thought, this needs to be rearranged so this could be better, and they'd reverse what we'd already moved, and we'd say to ourselves, why are we breaking our backs, and we're going to move the same thing? Or why can't they just clear out the steel case desk, take all their stuff in a box, move to that office that has the same steel case desk, and put their <laughs> stuff in there? We never could figure that out. But those of you who have moved, how many know moving is hard to do? How many love moving? I would get sick to my stomach, and the three moves we made since I was married, I would get sick to my stomach, anticipating all the things that have to be moved. And how often when we move um, are we faced with throwing out stuff that we've been hanging on for a long time? Be honest with me. Come on, that stuff that you're hanging on to, but what happens when you get to move? Why is it when you go to move, it's easy to throw that thing away because you don't want to move it. <laughs> well, I want to kind of uh, just kind of retrace. I, I want to talk again a little bit about repentance um, because I felt like it's, it's again to part with where we're at. And especially for us old Christians, there are things God wants to throw out. He wants us to throw out of our lives, things that we've put up with, things that we'd have allowed, and it's time to throw it away. Hebrews 12.1. Paul the Apostle wrote, such a large, cr large crowd of witnesses is all around us. We can't even see them. 
people who have gone on before, all of heaven, the angelic hosts, are watching all the dealings on earth. They're watching how we're dealing with attitudes and thought patterns that Satan's trying to do to get over on us, and he's watching how we're dealing with every test and trial, how we're dealing with every temptation, how we're getting hold of our gifts and we're applying and using them. So Paul says this, so we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that just won't let go. And we must be determined to run the race that is ahead of us. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. I feel like some of us are at a crossroads and we're coming to an end of a season. And yet in some of our ways, in our patterns, in our lifestyles, in our belief systems, in our fears, we're hanging on to an old lifestyle. But verse 6 says, there's a time for everything, and this next season is a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away. God wants to help us throw away those little sins that keep us from going on those little things that keep us from getting up out of our spiritual wheelchairs, those things that keep our attitudes, our judgments, our passivity, you know, keep us in that place where we're not moving forward. Yes, we know in our head, we know the scriptures, we know what God wants, maybe even those um, times where God has supernaturally revealed to us what he wants us to do, and yet we haven't done it. It's time not to be in denial anymore, but it's time to say yes. It's time to determine that thing is going to the trash. The definition of repent from the Strong's. After to think. Excuse me as I'm using my my glasses. It's like rethink the sin that's so easily that we do. Rethink the habit that's really destroying us spiritually. Rethink the way we do relationships. Rethink the way we hold on to old offenses and don't give forgiveness. Rethink everything. Repentance is a decision that results in a change of mind, which in turn leads to a change of purpose and action. Again, repentance is a decision. Our will gets returned to us. We take our will off the shelf. We take it out of someone else's hands. We take it away from Satan. And we make the decision through repentance to give our life back to God and to be obedient to Him. It's a place where the Holy Spirit empowers us to really change and to be able to establish actions and steps that will create new habits and show a life of change. And in whenever we give up for God, whenever we let go of something He that's holding on to us, we get more of Him. We get more meaning in our life. We get more joy, more purpose, more fulfillment. Yes, there might be a little bit more fears and anxiety like I face in saying yes to God, but the compensation that I would never have had from God is so much more worth it. I'm, I'm crazy. I've been doing this 15 years, feeling that anxiety every Sunday morning. What is wrong with me? There is something compensated to me that's greater than those moments of anxiety that I have. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Godly sorrow and pain bring repentance. There's consequences when we keep doing things that we know God doesn't want us to do. And really, 
it's losing the blessing. It's losing what, what the next step is. It's losing that next phase in our life. It's losing the next thing that God is holding for us, but we're hanging on to the old. That verse says, Godly grief and pain, God is permitted to direct, produce a repentance that leads and contributes salvation and deliverance from evil and never brings regret. Again, it's like those people who want to work out because they want to get the ideal-looking body, but they're paying a pretty high price, and they're doing a lot of sweat in the gym to get those chiseled muscles. My hat goes off to them. I'll try to watch another John Wayne movie instead. <laughs> but worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that is characteristic of the pagan world, is deadly, breeding and ending in death. Oh, if we could see the story of the, of the rich young ruler, that as he went away sad, he was already heaping up consequences for not saying yes to Jesus, for not leaving that little thing he was holding on to to grab onto something so much greater. You have to think about this. Because of the godly sorrow that works to repentance, whatever God's wanting you to change, it's a good pain. It's just like that exercise pain. Or it's just like denying that extra cookie because you're trying to drop some pounds. It's good pain. It's good discomfort. It's bring, bringing character to the soul. You're starting to bring, rein in that two-year-old that you've been letting run wild for 50 <laughs> years. Pain that produces repentance or change. It's going to be worth it. Dealing with ourselves is so valuable in gaining so much more. Godly pain is sorrow over sin, not sorrow over being caught. Godly pain is sorrow over sin, not sorrow over being caught. Like, God, I'm sorry I've been doing this. I'm sorry how it's affected my relationship. I'm sorry how this sin has affected uh, people that I love. I'm sorry how this sin has kept me from growing. Regret is when you've gone the way of sin and gone the way where it's contrary to God, and then you end up and you realize you've lost so much, and you wonder, God, what can you restore? What's left? But even if you've come to that place, if you're here today and you've, you've walked away from God a long time, I tell you, God can restore. If you have breath in your body, there's purpose and meaning he can restore. Sorrow under guilt, when Satan has done his job on us and we spent a life and we've walked so far from God, then he leaves us with guilt. After he's messed us over, used our will for his own purposes to, to really try to defy God, he leaves us with hopelessness, self-dependence and performance. We don't have God because we just perform or we try to do things to make us ourselves feel, feel better. Repentance is God's power of deliverance from evil separating us from sin. That's very powerful. Repentance enables us to strip off that sin that just won't let go. Also, repentance is really good because it helps us lead that sin of omission where we're not doing what God wants us to do. And whatever we're substitute for substituting for the will of God, repentance sets us free to do God's will. I was thinking about um, those sins of omission and, and uh, went and stopped and saw my mom last night after we picked up Amy. Sometimes as Christians, the older we get, um, we're not eating enough. 
yeah, I've read the Bible. Yeah, I've heard that message. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I got the T-shirt. You know, it's an attitude that settles over us. Here are my mom. She's 87, has a hip repaired with a plate, but we have to get her up if she's going to come home. She's tired. She doesn't want to drink. She was getting angry at me last night because I kept shoving a cup of juice in her face, making her drink. I think I got her drink about two ounces, and that was it. She's not eating much. Her blood counts are down. But for her to get home, she's got to get up. Some of us are old Christians, and we got to get up. We got to force feed ourselves again. We got to stir ourselves again. Again, how the enemy settles over us disappointments, what we know about the word, what we think we've expected about the word, um, what, what we've hoped for to happen that didn't happen, any disappointments, any failures, any contradictory things to the promises are all used against us, and our soul is a great collector of all those things. And that's what shuts us down in the spirit. That's what is the governor and keeps our spirit in prison. That is which that, it's like a dynamo. It's ready to go. It's so strong. The Holy Spirit is operating. Remember I talked a number of weeks ago about the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's not going to do anything that we're supposed to be do, but he helps us do it. So if we're not stepping up, the Holy Spirit can empower those places that we're not eating. And so just like I was trying to get my mom, we're trying to get her to eat, we're trying to get her to drink, I want to encourage you to eat and drink to feed yourself. You older Christians, maybe set aside a few more extra minutes and just start going there with God. Start apologizing for, for your apathy. Start apologizing for your unbelief, for whatever spiritual rut you're in, and start contending for a breakthrough. Start contending for a fresh revelation. Start contending for a fresh experience with the Holy Spirit. In Acts it says, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Until Jesus comes back, he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You could say, here I am. Like Amy got up today, I'm dry, I'm hungry. Pour out your spirit upon me. God, pour out a freshness on me. Keep asking that. Keep knocking on the door. Keep going there. Don't give up because you don't see something happen. Okay, a lot of you guys have noticed I don't wear glasses anymore. You know, two years ago, I started really dealing with cataracts. And I was going to the optometrist regularly. I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. And he said, really, you have cataracts. They're now taking away your sight. I can't correct your sight anymore. And so in this last year, I've corrected my lenses twice. I spent $1,000 to try to just get a little bit better sight. And it just, it, they would last a week or so, and they're just degenerating. So finally, they got to the place where, okay, you can have surgery because you, you're getting to this place you can't see to drive. So the 28th of last month, I had my first one. I can see out of this eye. So Monday, I had the second one. And so I took my glasses off, and I realized I will never put these on again. But my prayer has been, you know, God, I want to see. In fact, when I was in my 20s, there was one day I was reading the Bible and said, whatever you ask, you can have if you believe. And I remember taking my glasses and snapping them. <laughs> yeah, I snapped them. That night, I felt the Holy Spirit so on me. My eyes felt like they're going to jump on their house. I got out screaming my house, Mom, Dad! I'm healed. My eyes are healed. I woke up the whole house like 2 in the morning. I'm healed. 
I opened my eyes, turned the lights. I could still not see anything. <laughs> I drove to work, and I worked nights. I was a night janitor. I was praying all the way to work. God, I broke, I stepped out of faith. I broke my glasses. I can't see. <laughs> God got me through that. The next day, I went down and bought new frames for my lenses. But going back again and dealing with cataracts and, you know, being older and struggling not seeing for two years, you know, I remember turning the corner one day right where, where Ephraim lives, right on the corner where Ephraim lives. There, that's Bible verse that says, when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have something. So I said, okay, right now I'm believing that you're going to do something with my eyes so I can see. And I've been asking God, I want to see better than 2020. I'm going to have to deal with cataracts? Fine. Okay. So I prayed that prayer. And, you know, I thank God for technology and everything in the day I live in, that I could have surgery and I can see. And, you know, in this time where I've been going through this and waiting, you know the thoughts I would have? You're going to go blind. You're never going to see. You're never going to see. And those are the thoughts that we deal with when we're asking God for something that we need. And we're trying to believe God for things that are above and beyond the supernatural. You know, God is going to do supernatural things for you. And he's going to do things naturally because there's technology. But you have to give God the credit and the honor and the glory. And I have to say, being able to see you today, and I remember when I first had trouble, I remember Ken. Where are you, Ken Hoggard? You were sitting back there. I could not even see you. I could see you, Ken. <laughs> and I just want to encourage you, no prayer is necessarily left undone. I've been wearing glasses for over 50 years. I don't wear glasses anymore. God is faithful. I don't understand how, when, where, why, or why not, but I know God is faithful. And I know he's asking us to step out and trust him in greater ways. I want to go and talk about the, that word sanctify. It means to hallow, to set apart, to dedicate, to consecrate, to separate. And how the Holy Spirit is the one that separates us from even those, through repentance and sanctification, God separates us from those strongholds and those things that are keeping us from becoming strong in our spirit and strong in our gifts that God wants us to use. Becoming strong in that new person that that, that born-again experience started. Sanctify also means make holy. The word sanctify describes a manifestation of life produced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Again, God is doing the work. He's the one carrying out the work of setting us apart and changing us. We think, oh, I have to do this because why? Our flesh, our soul, and whatever enemy is trying to use and occupy in our own feelings and emotions and thoughts, he's making us feel like we have to do it. No, all we have to do is surrender to what God wants and say, I can't do it. I know you want this. Okay, I give you permission. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 we, brethren, beloved by the Lord, ought to and are obligated as those who are in debt to give thanks always to God for you, because God chose you from the beginning as his first fruits, the first converts for salvation through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, and your belief in adherence to, trust in, and reliance on the truth, the Bible truth, the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification in us as believers. Our work is both to believe and to cooperate with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. To me, sanctification is like a contract or a covenant. Covenant is the best thing because it's, 
It's something between us and God, and he'll never break his work. word. Us, we know with contracts with people sometimes, we can make a contract and sometimes they'll break it. But if you look at our covenant with God as a, as a contract with a reputable person, it's kind of like a contract. Like, say you're going to have something done in your house. I had a neighbor decided they were going to do solar on their house. So they got the guy over, signed this contract. They put this huge sign in front of their house saying they're going to get this solar thing. I was talking to him, you know, we paid so much money or whatever. And he's waiting, right? You sign the contract, you're going to get solar, but you got to wait till they come and do it. It's the same thing. When we ask Jesus Christ to come into our life, we sign a contract. You may go on for a while, like nothing's really happening, but then there's time the contractor, Jesus, shows up. <laughs> He's got all his tools on, and he wants to dig in your house. He wants to renovate, so he's got to demolish. He's got to destroy things that you've leaned on, hung on to, put great value in, lifestyles, belief systems, things you allow yourself to do. But when the contractor shows up, it all changes. Don't get scared of the dust. Don't get scared of the debris. Don't get scared. Don't do that tug of war with him when he's trying to tear something out and you're trying to nail it back in. Let him have it. You signed a contract. Like the, you know, like the contract, you know, the claws in the Santa Claus movie where he takes that magnifying glass out and shows him all the fine print. Oh, yeah, once we accept Jesus, we feel the love. We want eternal life. Oh, yeah, I want Jesus. And then he says, okay, I'm here to do some work. But you know what? That room over there, the lock is, not only the lock's coming up, I'm tearing the door down, <laughs> you know? That's where we get serious with God. That's where real change begins to happen because once something is gone that, that, that God is not happy with, that's when we begin to grow. Yeah, you might have to cry some tears over that thing as it's going out of your life. You might cry some bitter tears over it. But it's only the process. You haven't seen the renovation yet. You haven't seen the upgrade. And that's what you're waiting for, the upgrade. The blueprint of our remodel, sanctification's end result, is through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, and he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Us. Think of it. Us in this room. We're taking time from bowling today, golfing, swimming, horseback riding, or just being in trouble to be here. But he's already chose us to be separated, to be sanctified, to be set apart, that we might be conformed into the image of Jesus. That means we're going to have incredible character. We're going to be incredibly beautiful. Even if it takes our whole life and we're just beautiful on the inside right now, but someday when we put off these old clothes, this out-of-date uh, uniform we're wearing, we are going to be totally beautiful inside and out. But as you're growing and you're getting older, I tell you, the light of Jesus is going to shine out of your eyes and shine out of your life, and the people are going to recognize your character and say, that person's like Jesus. And for those of us who have been in this church for a while and we've seen people grow, it is an awesome thing to look at people and see their growth, to see Jesus on the inside working to look through the windows of their soul and see the bright light of Christ shine out. That's awesome. I don't even have time for my message today. <laughs> but I will give you our key verse. Looking at Colossians 1, key verse. In Jesus, all things were created. For it was in Jesus that all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and things unseen whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created and exist through him, Jesus. 
by his service, intervention, and in and for him. Jesus really is the center of all things. You know, in the fall of man, man became this self-centered. Why? Because he died spiritually. He was no longer getting the input from God, walking in the garden, having that relationship. And so self took this place of ascendancy over everything. The need to work, take care of ourselves, be responsible, take care of our families if we can get enough past our selfishness. But really, Jesus is to be center. And that's what we struggle with as we come into crisis, learning to shift everything back over and put Jesus in priority. And our mind would tell us, if I put Jesus first, I'm not going to have time to go to work. I'm not going to have time to do this. I'm not going to have time to do that. I can't take care of my family. But it's so strange how Jesus can multiply your time, your effectiveness, your talent. And we put Jesus at the center of our universe. Relationships work out. We have more patience when we can't be forgiven or we can't work things out. We have more ability to rest on Jesus knowing, well, it's not working out like I want, but you know what? I really feel like he's got this. I really feel like things are going to change. You know, in a moment, relationships can change. People who seem hard and to seem be resistance to us, God's love can work on them. They can be willing to make amends. They can be willing to accept our apologies. They can be willing to give us another chance. Enoch, whoever, the worshipers, would you come as we get ready to close? Will you stand with me? The whole work of trust is us learning in our will, in our soul, in our experience to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing. And sometimes in tears we have to cry out, I don't know if I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus. I don't know if I want to give you this one area. But that's where we again, we say, I, I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. Will you help me? Lord, we come to you today, and Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our heart. Again, Lord, just reveal your love to us. God, show us past wherever we're at and whatever you want to take out and change. Help us to be able to trust you. Help us to experience your love. Lord, help us to be able to loosen our grip on those things that are keeping us from being in the center of your will. I pray that you would deliver us from all evil, deliver us from all distractions. And I pray even as we go today, Lord, they would experience your incredible love, your, your peace, and your presence. Now, if you're here today, maybe you've never even asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. People will pray for you. And if you want prayer, will you start off praying over here? Start off, let's fill this side to that side. Sometimes there's more distractions over here. If you want personal prayer, if you feel like you need a breakthrough, if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you're an old Christian, you just want someone to start helping you push the car out of the mud, people will pray.